Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And on this friend or foe Friday, we're going to be talking about that most mythical and beautiful of creatures, the unicorn. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the unicorn. Now, one of the most popular depictions of it, certainly in European folklore, it's this white horse-like creature with a pure white coat, although it occasionally has goat-like characteristics, specifically the the beard, and occasionally sort of goat-like characteristics around the face. It can be have normal horse's hooves or cloven hooves if it's a little bit more goat-like, but the main feature of a unicorn is the single central horn coming from the middle of its forehead. It was commonly depicted in the Middle Ages as a woodland creature who was often attracted to purity and in some sort of folklore could only be ridden by a virtuous maiden. So, Hannah, what does the Big Book of Mythology tell us about unicorns? So, the Big Book of Mythology actually has four variant descriptions for unicorns. All right, okay. One being a horse with the head of a dragon, the legs of a deer that emits flame on its tail. Oh, I've never heard that before. One which is a horse with the head of a stag, the feet of an elephant and a horn three feet in length. Okay. White horse with cloven hooves, spiral horns, beard like a goat, and tail of a lion. Uh And the fourth one is particularly odd. White horse with a red head and blue eyes, the legs of a deer, and a red, black, and white horn variously described as being as big as a goat, as big as a horse, or as big as an elephant, with its horns being four inches and four feet in length. doesn't say where that description's come from, but it sounds very specific. It's probably some ancient... Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the thing with a lot of these creatures that are sort of amalgamations of different animals is different sources tend to like graft different bits of the animals on, don't they? So obviously the sort of the most obvious one we were talking about, the most prominent one in European folklore, is that where it's basically a horse with a horn on it. But like you say, sometimes it's got cloven hooves, sometimes it's got like a goat's beard or a lion's tail. Then obviously there's more extreme sort of chimerical versions of it with different animals grafted onto it. And this reminds me of um I can't remember which church it is, but somewhere in Britain, somewhere in the Midlands, I think, there's a church with a lectern in the shape of a bird. And I remember somebody saying to me, oh, what kind of bird do you think it is? And I looked at it and it's like, it, it's some sort of bird of prey, maybe a falcon. And they're like, oh no, it, it's actually a pelican, because there's this myth that a pelican like picks open its own chest and feeds it to its young and this is somehow like some allegory for god like sacrificing to his people okay but this statue this lectern looks like a bird of prey because the person that made it had no No. idea what a pelican looked like 
So they just pictured a hawk because they'd seen those and that's what they carved. Yeah, and I mean, you get that a lot in these sort of like Dark Ages style estuaries, don't they? Where like the people who drew them hadn't actually seen the creatures. They'd just heard a few like weird sort of folk tales what? about animals and had drawn them. I'm also fairly sure that there was, I think it might be Marco Polo, wrote about going to see the unicorns and he's very clearly talking about rhinoceros yeah yeah and like several sort of ancient writers who when you read it back that's clearly a rhinoceros they're describing but you can see how an artist trying to draw something to go along with that description would come out with a sword horse <laughs> yeah, well, I've been doing a little bit of research online. I know they've found a lot of depictions of a unicorn-like creature from the Indus Valley civilization, which was sort of Bronze Age time in the sort of northwest region mm-hmm. of South Asia. And some of the scholars believe that those were distorted depictions of aurochs, these big sort of like beasts of mm-hmm. burden, these big sort of cattle-style creatures that used to lumber around those areas at those times maybe like distorted or half remembered yeah creatures that are now extinct that people have been trying to describe explain from as you say half remembered stories and like bits of bones and stuff same as a lot of dragon myths potentially come from dinosaur bones yeah and I know they've they've said like the Indus Valley stuff that because their, their artistic style was to show things in profile that it's possible it might have had more than one horn but if you're looking at it from the side mm-hmm. you would only see the one horn so perhaps that's where that comes from for that specific version of the myth so hopefully you'll have got the idea that even something which is as well known as the unicorn has lots of different versions of it but let's have a quick look at the the classic D and uh, version. So, love. Do you want to have a quick look in the AD and D Second Ed Monster Manual, mm-hmm. and we'll see what we can find out about the unicorn. Okay, so Second Ed D and D. This is pretty much exactly what you would expect it to be. Um, the unicorns uh, do not want anything to do with anybody at all. Uh, unless you are Sylvan or if you play a character really, really wants one as a mount, basically. Um, where yeah, it I mean, says, it's that, I presume that's tied into that whole sort of virtuous maiden thing. Yeah, yeah. A human or elf maiden of pure heart and good alignment uh, can get a unicorn as a mount and then it will be really, uh, really protective of it and really loyal. Um Obviously, that's a, if your players really, really want one as a mount. Now, it looks as though in, a, in the 5th edition version, they've expanded that a little bit, mm-hmm. because in here it says, the gods sometimes pair a unicorn with a champion. So they seem to have linked it specifically to paladins here, whether that's uh-huh. just to distance it from the whole virtuous maiden thing, mm-hmm. or just to like, because it's like an iconic <laughs> thing, you know, unicorn, champion of good, etc. I'm not sure... But it says, as long as troubled times persist, the unicorn stays by its champion. However, if the champion falls from grace or turns from the cause of righteousness, the unicorn departs never to return. So again, as you were saying, once it's linked with someone, it sticks with them. Mm -hmm. So 
You've also got here, uh, rangers have a 10% chance of working out whether or not there's unicorns in a forest. Um, I suppose, feasibly, that could be like an interesting story for a druid and a ranger <laughs> walking to a forest. Yeah, I mean, there's a... There's nothing specifically I can see about that here for like rangers notes in it. But um, one thing I have noticed having a look at both these books, and I don't know whether mm. you think the same, is that there seems to be a lot more emphasis on like divinities and like gods sending unicorns in 5th edition than there is in AD&D 2nd edition. I don't see anything about it in 2nd edition. It says that they like sylvan folk and that they don't like angry people basically yeah whereas if you look at see anything on divinity whereas if you look at fifth edition it's saying like good deities put them on the material plane to ward away evil Mm. then it's like oh um, a unicorn's forest is a celestial realm so again linked with gods they have sacred horns that let paladins ride them stuff like that so there seems to be a lot closer link with the gods Mm. in fifth edition than there is in AD&D second edition it seems to be uh, that the forest territory in 5th edition has like a lot more to it as well, whereas here you've just got, like, oh, it might be 20 miles by 20 miles. It's unlikely to have more than one like family of unicorns in it. And if people are damaging the forest, the unicorn might come after them. Yes. Other than that, there's nothing in it. Yeah, I mean, as you were saying, in 5th edition, you get sort of very obvious effects. So to, to give a quick list of them, it says uh, the the region that the unicorn in is transformed by their celestial presence. So again, a sort of mm. heavenly link there. It says open flames of a non-magical nature are extinguished within the unicorn's domain. Uh, torches and campfires refuse to burn, but closed lanterns are unaffected. Creatures native to the domain have an easier time hiding. They get advantage on stealth and hide checks. When a good aligned creature casts a spell or uses a magical effect that causes another good aligned creature to regain hit points, the target regains the maximum number of hit points possible, and curses affecting any good aligned creature are suppressed. But if the unicorn dies, all of these effects end immediately. So it really seems to me like in 5th edition they're really trying to like ramp up the, the sort of magical nature of the unicorn and definitely mm. sort of link them more closely with the gods. Whereas yeah. in AD&D 2nd edition, they just feel like, oh, they're a bit of a fake creature. This is sort of what we were talking about right at the start, isn't it? In the 2nd ed, it is very much a mundane creature. It's unusual. It's interesting. Yeah, it's a slightly fake an creature, animal. but it's an animal, yeah. Whereas in this, it's some sort of celestial being with like a divine providence and a destiny to fulfil. Yeah, I mean, and in 5th in edition, it's like... it's an in- You could make that work. Well, yeah, I mean, like I say, in 5th edition, it's an intelligent creature, but it can telepathically communicate. It's got three different languages. It's got loads of innate spell casting, magic resistance, healing touch. It can teleport itself and up to three creatures, um, up to one mile once a day. And obviously there are a few like little sort of abilities for the unicorn in AD&D 2nd edition. Yeah, this one can teleport. It can't be charmed or held. And uh, due to its magical nature, it always has plus two bonus to hit. 
Uh, and then there's a load of stuff about impaling with the horns and fighting with the hooves. Yeah. But so, yeah, not not masses of magic compared to what we've got in 5th Ed. Yeah, so there are a few little abilities in there, but again, they really seem to have like ramped up these magical abilities mm-hmm. in 5th edition. And I'm assuming part of that's because for whatever reason, they chose to make it more of a celestial creature rather than just some sort of slightly strange fey creature. Okay, so now we're going to talk a little bit about how we think you could use unicorns in an interesting way in your games. And I was going to suggest one of the first ways is if you go in like the 5th edition style unicorn where its territory gains all these weird effects and particularly the one where like open fires don't work and stuff like that. If you expand that a little bit, what if... um, what if maybe you've got like a small forest in range of your village and that's where you get your timber from, for your houses, for your mills and stuff like that. And the people who have been going in there and cutting down trees are suddenly like, oh, not all of our torches keep going out. All of our axes keep going blunt or they won't, they won't allow us to cut the tree down. Then potentially if they keep trying to do that or find other ways, you've got this unicorn interfering with it. And whilst from the unicorn's point of view... Obviously, it's doing good. It's a good aligned celestial creature just trying to protect the forest. But if you're the, the sort of local community, we're like, oh, we need some wood because the winter's coming, or we need to build new houses, there's no real wrong sort of evil thing going on there. But both you still get conflict because both parties have different points of view. And it's more a case of like, who do the PCs choose to side with? Do they try and broker some sort of agreement between the two groups? And I think that could be really interesting because there's not a clear, yes, this is the evil enemy in that sort of story. Mm. Okay, so another idea I was thinking of is that perhaps your PCs have locked horns with an NPC, an antagonist, a number of times. Not of the sort of mustachio-twirling villain type, you know, someone they've they've come to oppose or whose viewpoints don't match their own. And maybe when they get to the final confrontation, the antagonist shows up and he's got a u- he or she's got a unicorn in tow or acting as their mount. Now, most people who play D&D will be aware that unicorns don't traditionally, certainly not the white, goodly version, tends to knock around with evildoers. So I think that might cause the, the PCs to sort of pause and reflect a little bit and sort of say, oh, well, maybe this guy isn't the sort of evil, like, stereotypical bad guy we thought he was. And it might be a way to get them to examine that that villain, in inverted commas, motives a little bit more closely to see, like, why they've come into conflict, why they disagree with them. It, it's not just a sort of black-and-white so situation. there is sort of a, almost like a diplomat, an arbiter, yeah. without it ever actually having to talk. It's just there as a symbol of, oh, maybe you should think about peace. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's uh, it's just like a physical manifestation of the of saying, again, show not tell, it's a physical manifestation of like, oh, well, this guy's obviously not pure evil because there's this unicorn, but if they're not pure evil, why are we opposing them? Why are they opposing us? What's going on? Is there maybe some way around this that doesn't involve us just fighting them? And if if a fight does break out, the unicorn might not even get involved. After all, in certainly in fifth edition, they're sent by deities for particular tasks. Maybe its task is just to make the point that not everyone who opposes you is evil. And if you choose to ignore that and fight, maybe it just goes back to its forest and goes about its business and lets you get on with it. Maybe with a small sigh, you know, due to the sort of the follies of mankind or whatever. But 
I think just having it there for a lot of people, certainly people who are familiar with the creature, would be a strong signal to people that maybe there's more going on here. So here at the end of the second ad book, it mentions that Unicorn Horn is uh, a remedy against all poisons. Yeah, yeah, very magical. Now, obviously, that right there is quite a sort of ethical dilemma plot that you've got just waiting to happen. Or somebody you play characters care about has been poisoned by this obscure poison that nobody knows of cure for it, but unicorn unicorn horn can cure any poison. Player characters, there's supposed to be unicorns in these woods over here. Why don't you go and like catch one? Well, well, isn't like Tim Curry and like Willow trying to like off all the unicorns <laughs> to like gain all the uh, gain all Tim the magic? Curry, Tim Curry in Legend. Still, Legend, that's it. It is trying to make the unicorns extinct, and then Tom Cruise, I believe, yeah, yeah. goes and doesn't that, really do much because the girl's the one that ends up like destroying him. But yeah, yeah. But in, in that sort of thing, I mean, he, he's the the sort of devil style creature as depicted by Tim Curry mm-hmm. is trying to like get the unicorn horns because it has like all the magic in it and it has all the power in it. And he wants to make himself more powerful. I mean, there's there's a ready-made plot element for you. Maybe there's maybe there's only a handful of unicorns in your campaign, and maybe some evil bad guy is trying to capture them all to get the horns. Within the mythology of that particular world, it would seem that, like, um, effectively, the magic that holds the world together is run by the unicorns and when they're killed off the whole world descends into winter yeah and various other stuff ensues and i could see that working so they're obviously very tied into forests and stuff like that you wouldn't even need to go to that extreme maybe one day some knight rides into your village with a dead unicorn and says oh i've just caught this unicorn aren't i a brave knight and nobody even knew there was one there. But now that it's not there protecting the forest, the wolves are coming back. And certain other gribbly things are starting to happen. And maybe the player characters have got to go and recruit a new unicorn. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, we've got, in my Midlands game we're doing at the minute, one of the uh, the, the friar of the group got cursed in the, the previous session. So he's thinking, he's trying to find some cure for this curse and that's going to be their next mission they go into like a load of goblin alchemists looking for a cure maybe i might send them after like a unicorn or because a goblin they're going to give a shit that it's a unicorn are they mm. so there's just a few thoughts about unicorns obviously we've referenced D there but there is a lot of lore concerning these creatures both in real life mythology and in various games that is easily available to you. We hope you've got something out of that. If you want to get in touch with us, you can leave us a message on SpeakPipe. There'll be a link in the show notes, or you can leave us an email. The address is oddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and happy gaming. Bye.